Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artists thinkers. Great to have you with us. Tracy L. Slatten, um, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers, and I'm so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a great show lined up. I'm really happy and humbled that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. And I do have a very unconventional thinker on the show today, so I'm excited. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers. And um, the chat room is open, so if you're online, drop me a note. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest who's coming on. You can reach me at tracy at tracylflatten.com, and that's T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some great guests are coming on. Next week, on Thursday, January 21, at 1 p.m. New York time, entrepreneur, author, and medical technologist Robin Farman Fayan will talk about the patient as CEO and how to understand the current medical revolution driven by accelerating medical technology. So that would be cool. On Thursday, January 28th, attorney Stuart Gartner will be on talking about divorce and the battlefield of love. And it's sad, but sometimes that happens. On Thursday, February 4th at 1 p.m., Broadway actress and yoga teacher Mary Michael will talk about evolving our dreams as we go through life. So tune in and keep checking the website independentartistthinkers.com and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on this show. I am so happy and delighted today to have an old friend, author, speaker, and Vedic astrologer Drew Lawrence is going to talk about personal empowerment. So here's Drew Lawrence's biography. Drew is a successful author, speaker, Sanskrit scholar, and Vedic astrological consultant. He has been a student and practitioner of Vedic astrology, or Jyotish, for some 39 years and has been a a featured speaker at the International Symposium on Vedic Astrology held in the United States and also in London. He 
has authored four books thus far. Offering lectures and seminars on a variety of themes around the globe, Drew enjoys the distinction of having spoken on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With clients throughout the world, Drew is a consultant to Fortune 500 companies, Crown Princes, Heads of State, United Nations envoys, diplomats, Ivy League professors, inventors, cutting-edge entrepreneurs, and entertainment celebrities. Drew has pioneered a dynamic method of meditation and personal discovery entitled Guided Healing Meditation, which enables people to heal their past and envision their future. He has been featured in national magazine articles as well as radio and television interviews in several countries. His consultations and workshops have brought empowerment and transformation into the lives of thousands, helping individuals find their life purpose, thereby leading them to their personal fulfillment and our society's greatest benefit, has been one of Drew's long-time goals. Most of Drew's professional life has been lived in Los Angeles. He currently lives in the rolling green hills of Wicklow, Ireland. You can find out more about Drew at DrewLawrence.com. Drew, welcome, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tracy. I'm really nice happy to, to have... Here. Yeah, I'm happy. I know you, you're you calling in from Ireland. I'm calling from Ireland. <laughs> So that's fun. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had someone calling in from Australia, so it's cool when we get international guests on the show. Um, I'm going to yeah, start. It's dark. It's, it's nighttime. Oh, right, right. You're what, six hours ahead or five hours ahead of us? Five hours ahead, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a question, and if you've heard any of my podcasts, this is a question I, I like to start with for my guests, um, and it's a big question, so Feel free to find your way in and take it wherever you want. And that is, how did you begin your journey? And what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be a Vedic astrologer and teacher of meditation? Were these things a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So talk about your childhood, start early, and lead up till now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, uh, I actually had an awakening at age 19, and uh, I knew that I had to find the meaning and purpose of my life, and I had really little choice. I had a choice, but I had no choice. Uh, it began with just an understanding of uh, diet and how to eat more healthfully, and it soon morphed into uh, yoga philosophy, Eastern philosophy, the practice of yoga and meditation, and it went from there. I spent five years living in an ashram and practicing yoga, and I learned Sanskrit, and from there I became a Sanskrit editor for my spiritual teacher, Uh, many, many, many volumes. This was in Los Angeles. Uh, All of those volumes are now in every major world library and uh, major university library throughout the world. Once you learn Sanskrit, if you know anything about uh, yoga and Eastern philosophy, it it kind of opens the door to everything. And from there, I went into Vedic astrology because I knew that timing was important. In fact, there's a saying among everybody, timing is everything. Mm. And it is. So when you learn about Vedic astrology, you learn that timing is very effective in how to choose the right times so that whatever your plans are, what you're trying to achieve, uh, the likelihood of its success will be increased significantly. 
I did never, <laughs> I've never wanted or intended to become a Vedic astrological consultant. It was never my plan. It's just that once you learn astrology, uh, people begin to ask you, would you look at my chart and my mm-hmm. horoscope? And so it, it sort of developed like that. And uh, the whole time I've been on my own personal spiritual journey, uh, I gave up a lot when I entered the ashram. I had one of the most successful bands in Canada, and we were doing oh, so national you were, radio. You were a musician. I was a fairly accomplished musician, and uh, we were offered our first recording contract. And we were doing uh, we were touring the U.S. and we were doing national TV, national radio in Canada. And I walked away from all of it, and I joined the ashram. A lot of people thought I was mad, crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was a very difficult decision to make, and it tore me apart. But I knew I had to make it. I had very little choice because my higher calling, my spiritual calling, was so powerful at that time. In hindsight, I believe I made the right choice. And uh, I went from there, and one thing developed after another. And I ended up doing Vedic astrology at one of those junctures in my life where I would say, you know how you say, Tracy, well, I wonder what I'm going to do when I grow up. Mm-hmm. even though you're already growing up. So one of those junctures, and my friends just laughed and said, well, why don't you do the astrology? Because you seem to be reasonably good at it, and you, a lot of people want you to do it. So I sort of surrendered to it. Mm-hmm. And once I did that and sort of carried it out in a business-like manner, from there on I've been traveling the world and have had this success. And uh, I've been doing it full-time and, uh, traveling for 25 years. That's so today cool. I'm still on my path and I've been actually able to help thousands of people with it. Well, you helped me. I know when I had readings with you, I always loved them. I'd like to go back to that spiritual awakening. It must have yeah. been profound for you to give up you know, the budding success you were enjoying. So what was that awakening? Well, I realized that um, you know, whatever we achieve in this world, not that I didn't have goals and objectives, I did, and I would have regarded myself as a successful person. It's not like I, I, I had nothing going on, so I may as well become spiritual, not quite the contrary. Um, I realized that the nature of the soul and, you know, who, who the, what the soul is as compared to the body, the body's temporary, the soul is eternal. And yeah, we, we can do things in this world, in this lifetime, and, and fulfill desires and achieve objectives. But that's only for one lifetime. What about all the other lifetimes? I mean, what is the soul's journey? Not just the, the soul's journey in one lifetime, but over a period of lifetimes. And what is the most important thing to learn? And for me, that, that came to be a higher consciousness and uh, acting more in harmony with uh, the divine plan and in harmony with God and an eternal relationship with God and a loving relationship with God. So I I came to the conclusion, even at a fairly young age, at 21 or 22, that uh, love is the highest purpose in life. And loving 
humanity and being compassionate and empathetic and understanding and generous and kind are very important qualities. And when you take it beyond that to love of humanity, universal love, it goes all the way up to love of God. So that is the path that I've been on. And did you live a very spiritual childhood? Were there things in your early home life that led you into this sort of spiritual sensibility? Yes, there were. I was raised Catholic. And if you know Catholicism, at least back in the old days, uh, I was an altar boy, served on the altar for mass and various other, you know, rituals that were done. And I, I, I started studying Latin at the age of eight. So it, it was a natural fit for me. I, I had this very powerful belief and faith in God and uh, a very strong yearning to be with God even as a child. And was there so, an yeah. event? Was there a specific moment, a specific event that led to your realization, you know, the awakening? Was there a specific, you know, event that started things in motion? Not, I don't think there was actually an event that uh, perpetrated it in as much as, um, I was at a, and no one's ever asked me this before, I was at a, an outdoor rock festival in the summer and when I was 19, and one of my musician friends came up to me and he said, he said, well, what are you eating that stuff for? What are you eating that crap for? And that's what he said to me. And I said, I was eating a hamburger. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, well, what? What are you asking me? He says, why are you eating that crap? I said, well, I'm I'm hungry. <laughs> he says, yeah, but that's that's you shouldn't be eating that. And anyway, it sort of went from there. I mean, I was stunned. No one ever made me think about you know what I was putting in my mouth and my body, or that it might not be the best thing for me. And so, as I said. I went off more on a path of uh, food and nutrition, which sort of just led very quickly into uh, higher meaning, higher value, values. Uh, it, it happened like that. So a hamburger started the journey. Uh, yeah, I, well, I would never want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I suppose in that sense it was just – it was – the right time at the right moment, and it it caused me to think it was a trigger or uh you know it, it caused me to think in a way that I'd never thought before to question the problem we have in our society treats as you well know we are meant to sort of toe the party line. We're meant to ascribe to the values, the morals, the ethics, the this, the that, the other, that are uh, entrenched and ingrained in us uh, as children from our parents, our culture, our extended family, our educational system, our nationality, pop culture, etc. And many people will go into life, develop life, go on in life without ever questioning anything. Mm. And just swallowing it all, hook, line, sinker. And so what does that mean? Then generally what happens around 40, when we think about midlife crisis, 
And by the way, when I'm saying these things, I've actually done the charts of some 40,000 people around the world. Wow. So I keep hearing these stories over and over and over in my year uh, or on Skype or in person from my various clients in every walk of life. And then you get to 40, and they go through the midlife crisis, which means, well, I did everything exactly as I was told. I got the education. I got married. I had 2.5 children. I, we have two cars, a garage, and we have a cottage at the lake. And I'm not happy. I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not happy because I'm not fulfilled. I don't even know why I'm doing this job. Now, this is fairly common. It's not uncommon. Is that what so brings have, a lot of your clients to you, that kind of question? Well, the clients come to me for all various kinds of reasons, but you know, there are uh, you know, a, a percentage of them that will come with that in mind, absolutely. But some of them are on the right path, and they've always been on the right path, and they've known it since they were children. But, you know, they're blessed. Uh, various things bring people to me. Any any problem or any situation you could dream up, I've met the person. Believe me. So, uh, you know, Vedic astrology offers a very unique insight because Vedic astrological science is actually considered to be a divine science. If mm-hmm. it works, and it does, no one invented astrology. Effectively, God invented astrology because it's the position of the planets in the cosmos and their relationships with each other and with you as you take birth somewhere on the planet. And these principles are eternal principles they work time and time again. Uh, I would like to think I'm a reasonably intelligent man. Uh, if they didn't work, uh, I would have, you know, set it aside years and years ago. Well, I find but the timing. I, I find in Vedic astrology, the timing is very precise. Like I look over my chart and kind of the day, right around the day I left an, an astrological period ruled by moon and entered into the astrological period ruled by Mars. It was just about that day I met my second husband, Sabin, um, as you know, and it mm. was, you know, the timing was too precise, you know, and I look back and I can see that that system that Vedic astrology has, the Dasha system, which is when the planet comes into, you know, its primary rulership of the, per, or, you know, influence over the person's life. Those are very sensitive mm-hmm. points. And I can almost invariably say, well, this happened when I entered this, and this happened when, you know, on that date of my Dasha. It's, I find it very precise. So I like the precision. Yeah. Uh, if we have an accurate birth time, it's pretty accurate. I, I think I'll give you an example, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, this, this friend and client of mine is no longer with us. And if he was still on the planet, I wouldn't speak about this. Uh, and that's John Denver, the singer mm-hmm. uh, and the actor. John came to me uh, several years ago when I was living in L.A. And in fact, I met him at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. I came to see him in his suite. And uh, I did a chart for him. He asked me to do his chart for him, which I did. And he was going into a very difficult period, a K2 period. K2 is one of the shadow planets in Vedic astrology, K-E-T-U. 
Uh, normally, uh, in Western astrology, they would refer to it as the south node of the moon. So um, he entered a major period of K2 in his seventh house in the chart. I know that's kind of technical, but uh, the seventh house is um, divorce and divorce proceedings and legal proceedings, and he was in the midst of his divorce. And there was a real difficult thing going on between him and the ex-wife. I don't know if she was ex at that time. And the daughter was sort of caught between, you know, kind of the bargaining chip sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, the main thing I told him, I said, John, you're in a very dangerous period right now. He said, what do you mean dangerous? You mean legally? I said, well, legally difficult, but physically dangerous. And it it could result in injury or worse. He said, really? I said, yeah, that's why I'm telling you. And generally, I mean, it's a karmic thing, but it's also proportionate to how much of the negative fire element you're generating. What does that mean? The negative fire element is anger, frustration, resentment, criticism, blame, guilt. So if you're generating that or feeling that or it's coming at you, as it rises in its crescendo, it creates a greater potential of danger. So I said to him, you know, just be really careful in this period, seven-year period, by the way. I said, just be really, really careful in this period. Uh, don't, you know, don't jump off a building on, with a bungee cord and, uh, you know, don't do, uh, you know, don't take on unnecessary risks. Don't climb steep precipices. I don't can't remember what I said. And he says, and don't fly airplanes. Mm. And I said, yeah, well, I mean, you probably got to fly your, he says, no, I'm a pilot. I own my own plane. I said, oh. I said, well, I said, I'm not really going to be able to tell a pilot who owns his own plane not to fly his plane, now am I? He said, no, you're not. I said, well, just be really, really careful, John. Well, I talked to him two more times over a period of a couple of years. Then I was driving down the street one day in L.A., and I heard the announcement on the radio that his plane went into the Pacific Ocean off the coast mm. of California. Mm-hmm. So that's how it can work in a negative sense if one is not careful. His plane had run out of gas. Oh, what was he running? What was Which, the minor, Dasha? Do you remember he was in K two? I don't remember major. off the top of my. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's not to say that anybody's in the K two period is in the same kind of danger. That's not how it works. But in this particular case. Uh, you know, it was kind of what you might call a textbook case. Mm. And uh, it was it was sad. Uh, it was tragedy. He's a wonderful man, by the way. Yeah. Conversely, you know, we have people who are about to go into or going into very, very successful times in their life, maybe after a drought, you know, after having gone through difficult years, um, uh, 
you know, I have people coming out of university, they study for something, then they go and they try to get the job, they can't get that job. They end up with some job that has nothing to do with what they've learned or who they are. But they don't know that, and they sort of, you know, become crestfallen and disappointed because uh, they, they, they think they're not going to be able to do what they wanted to do. And if you look at it in terms of the planetary periods, if they wait another year, year and a half, it'll happen for them. The timing is so important. And if people say, yeah, well, you know, I don't believe in that. Well, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, do you believe in planting your your crop in springtime or do you not believe in it? Mm -hmm. Do you believe in planting your crop in fall? If you do, you won't get a crop. So timing is true and effective in everything, in every walk of life. What this does is just gives you an, uh, a means of analyzing it to a much, much greater and subtler detail. Yeah. Well, I just, I came out a little while ago from Saudi Saudi, you know, the seven years of Saturn on the moon. That was a yeah. tough seven years. Yeah. That's it's another kind of timing that um, Vedic astrology shows is not just the planetary periods when the planet will influence the life most strongly, but also these transits. And in, in my case, it was Saturn, the sign before, the sign of, and the sign after my moon. And man, it was hell. <laughs> yeah, if you have planets in those signs, it makes it that much more difficult. And if there's no planets there, it tends to be a bit easier. Mm. So, Drew, who has inspired you throughout your life and in this journey as being a Vedic astrological consultant and a teacher of meditation? Who has inspired you? Um, well, in terms of Vedic astrology, you know, it's you either have a teacher or a guru, which I definitely did on my spiritual path, uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami, who's who left the planet in 77. Um, but in terms of astrology, I never really had a teacher or a guru figure. I had a couple of people that introduced me to it and helped me calculate, learn to calculate things. But in terms of a, an actual teacher on that path, I never had that. So I more or less learned on my own studying books and having the Sanskrit language at my at my fingertips, which helped me a lot. And um, a lot of it came through practice and through realization. Uh, you know, you, you have people outside of you, teachers and people like that, uh, the experienced people who can teach you whatever. Uh, but when it comes to more subtle or mystical or spiritual subject matters, a lot of times that comes from within. A revelation, a realization, an epiphany. That's, for the most part, how my life has been guided. Especially when it comes to those. Yes. I've been guided. I've had some very powerful experiences and can you share one of them? I mean, you talked about, you know, the hamburger and eating and that realization. Can you share another one of your realizations with us if it's not too personal? 
Because um, it gives my listen. The reason I'm asking, Drew, is it gives my listeners an example and a model of someone who can tune in to that exquisite inner voice and who can tune in very okay. sensitively. That's why I'm asking. It's not just Purim. No, no. I didn't think it was. Uh, when I left the ashram, I had to get back into the the real world, if you want, <laughs> the illusory world of the material world. Yeah, I... I was I had a, at at the time I had a fairly good job and um but my marriage wasn't going very well. And my marriage came to an end, the job came to an end, everything came to an end abruptly. And um uh, I had no money and uh my spiritual path had you know, it waned. Spirituality of the Pantheon can wax and wane like anything else. So there I was, and I had to institute some change into my life. So I began to do my meditation more uh, more steadily and with, with greater focus. And as I did that, I had a breakthrough uh, one morning. And there was a type of meditation that I had not yet been able to do and it would and that is just to go into meditation and allow images to appear from the subconscious, not direct them, not pick and choose, but just allow it to unfold naturally. In Jungian psychology it would be uh, you know the um, just like the inner daydream, I think it's another term they use for it. I can't remember right now. Uh, but anyway, I, I saw this image of a an archway, and I walked through the arch, archway in the meditation, and there was a holy man sitting on the side of a crevasse, mm. and the crevasse it was a perfect circle. This crevasse. And halfway around it, a semicircle was kind of like a little balcony. And he was at the edge of that, sitting kind of on a higher rock, meditating. And I looked around, and the trees that were growing out were growing up from the side of the rock. I thought, that's very unusual. So I walked to the balcony and looked over, and uh, <laughs> below me, at the bottom of the crevasse, was the abyss. There's nothing there. It mm-hmm. just went on forever. I'm going, wow, that's the abyss. So I walked to the sage and I bowed and I said, uh, you know, n- uh, namaste, hello, how are you? And, you know, he opened his eyes and he turned to me and he said, look what it took for us to get you here. Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. I said, what? He said it again. Look what it took to get you here. We had to dismantle your entire life for you to come. And so that we'll be able to, so you'll pay attention and that we can teach you what you need to learn to go to your next phase. I was just, I'm standing with my mouth open in meditation, that is. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely astounded because it all flooded in. 
all this stuff that I've been going through. Very difficult time. He said, okay, are you ready? I said, am I ready? Are you ready to start doing what you came here for, what you came into this world for? And I said, yeah. He said, good. He says, because the tuition starts now. And it continued for a year. And I was given all these visions through meditation and initiations. I was taught this, taught that, shown this, shown that. And at the end of the year, he says, okay, good. You've done very well. Now you're ready. Continue with your meditation. <laughs> now, now you're ready to help others, to guide others using this system that we've taught you. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> the astrology had already been doing. So this was a healing system that was given to me. So I've been doing that now for 27 years. I just call it guided healing meditation. And I do have clients around the world doing that have done that with me and it's it's probably the most powerful or transformative work that I do although the Vedic astrology also provides that for people. So that that's an example. That's cool. That's really amazing. So you encourage people to kind of tune in and listen and find that place yes. where you found the 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 inner teacher and the void. Well, Tracy, as we all know, people tend to look outside of themselves. Now, you know, if people come to see a guy like me, that's fine and can perhaps perhaps help you and guide you in some way. But ultimately, you have to listen to the own, your own inner voice, your conscience, if you will. Uh, my belief is it's God in the heart. God is in everyone's heart, including every animal and every blade of grass and everything. It can't sustain without the presence of spirit. That little voice inside of you that tells you what's right and wrong, what's the right thing to do, you know, intuition, that's God in the heart. Mm. And you have to learn to listen to that. You know, uh, regarding relationships, for example, I counsel a lot of people in relationships, as you can well imagine, because it's it's a big thing. So when they tell me, yeah, I met this guy, I was in a relationship for two years, or this, that, or the other, and and then, you know, he did this and that, and it didn't work, and I was just, I broke my heart, and betrayed me, etc. Okay. So tell me this. When you met him, in the first five minutes of meeting him, I'll give you half an hour, how's that? What? Did your intuition tell you about him? And then the reply comes, oh, he was a bad boy. Mm. Oh, he was a bad boy. That means on the one hand, that's very exciting, perhaps. On the other hand, he's a bad boy. And bad boys do bad. Did you not feel that? Yeah, I thought that might happen. But he was so cute. He was so attractive. He was so this. He was so that. Yep, okay. But you're, and then sometimes they say to you, oh, I listened to my intuition, but it was wrong. No. Your intuition is never wrong. 
when people think or say their intuition was wrong, it's because their desire overrides their intuition. <laughs> intuition is the subconscious mind, the heart, if you will. Desire is the conscious mind. I want one of these, two of those, three of those. I want this one in red, this one in black. This is all the conscious mind. I want a man who looks like this, acts like this. You know, fine. That's desire. But the subconscious will always tell you the truth. The intuition will tell you the truth. But oftentimes people don't want to hear that because it isn't in harmony with their desire. Mm. So they'll override that intuition by running off in the direction of what they what they think they want, what they may want it, but it may be absolutely the wrong thing for you. And that's what the intuition is offering, the truth and subsequently protection. So Doing how do right you thing. how do you uh instruct your clients to separate like what tools do you give them for separating desire from intuition so they can become more attuned to their intuition? Well, I I mean, I talk like I'm talking right now, <laughs> you know, and I just sort of help them to understand things on a different level by giving them examples from their own lives, which I can see in the chart and which, of course, they break, they give me the details in the actual events. So I can just hold up a mirror and show them in their own lives why it's happening. The thing about the the astrology chart, the the horoscope, it's a map of your karma. It shows your strengths, your weaknesses. It shows what this soul is doing here in this lifetime. What is this soul trying to learn? What is the journey you are on? It's not just running haphazardly, chasing the will of the wisp after this and that, wherever your nose leads you. No. There's a purpose behind your existence. It's not nihilism. It's not nothing at all, much to nothing, and then you die and there's nothing. No. Not at all. So you want to be in tune with being on the right path, which is the path of dharma or life purpose. Mm. So the Vedic chart will help you to understand that or at least get close to tuning into that. Then, as you mentioned, the planetary periods, this is how the karma unfolds. People joke that life does not come with a manual. Correct. But it comes with a schedule. (laughs) Interesting. The schedule are the planetary periods. Actually, the chart itself is the manual in doing. I mean, some people just gravitate to doing the right thing in harmony with their nature or their life purpose from early on, you know? Well, don't don't you find, I find at least when I'm with someone who's in their dharma, I feel it in my own being. I feel it in my body and in my consciousness that I'm with someone who's in their dharma, because from time to Correct. time you meet someone who's just so, it's like they're snapped into place perfectly and you just feel it. And it's yeah. kind of beautiful and it's really cool. At least, you know, it's, well, just, it's, it's like, like your husband. Yeah, like I think Sabin's definitely in his yeah. dharma being a sculptor. 
yeah, he's a genius sculptor. I mean, he's incredible. And that's just what he is, because that's what he must be. And look at the result. Yeah, well, people people. When, when people are doing the right thing at some point and they're in harmony with their nature and their dharma and their life purpose, at some point it really begins to manifest or come together to coalesce so powerfully and wonderfully. Then, when that happens, the effect it has on others, even uh, passively, what to speak of actively in an exchange uh, can even be measured because it can be transformative uh, or life-changing for others. Just like you go to an art gallery and see beautiful sculpture or a beautiful painting, it actually can have a powerful transformative effect on you. Well, that's that's exactly what Sabin's goals are. And people ask me about him and I say, the great thing about Sabin is he's exactly what he is and what he seems to be. The terrible thing about Zavin is he's exactly what he is and what he seems to be. It's He's just so <laughs> in his dharma. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You, well, you know, it's sort of like it, it, you have to do it. There's no, you know, it was like me going on my journey. I, I, I had a choice, but I had no choice. Mm. I had to do it. I was compelled to do it. I remember sitting there and breaking down and crying, my whole body convulsing when I was making the decision to to leave my entire life behind, move to another city, and come what may, what if I'm wrong? What if the whole thing blows up in my face? But I still had to do it. You see, it wasn't like, oh, it's the cakewalk. Oh, yes, well, now I'm going to go do this. No, well, no, 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 no. Joseph Campbell would say, "Yeah, Joseph Campbell would say you left on the hero's journey." Exactly. And the hero's journey is terrifying. Yes, and this is what people have to decide for themselves. Do you want to live a mundane life, an average, everyday kind of okay life, or do you want to go on the journey? Do you want to go on the hero's journey? Do you want to be? Do you want to come alive? Do you want to be a or as they, they say in the in the Odyssey? Do you want to be a soul of fire or a soul of clay? You know, so you you have to make that decision for yourself. If you want to live a nice, quiet life and fit in, that's okay. If you're happy or if you're peaceful and if everything seems to be fine, all right. But if it isn't fine and it isn't satisfying you and it's not fulfilling, then maybe you need to expand your boundaries and start thinking about that hero's journey and the trek up the mountain. And this is not any cakewalk. This is extremely difficult, tremendous sacrifice, and uh, you know you've got clashing rocks, You've got to defeat the monsters and hopefully not become seduced by the silence. Yeah. So you're on this journey. Can you summarize some of the more important points of what you learned, what you have learned along your hero's journey? 
Well, you got to be honest. Everything, there's no such thing as lying and getting away with it. No one gets away with lying. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I got away with it. I told a lie and she, she never caught me. No, no, you didn't get away with that. There's only two states of being, integration and disintegration. Every lie you tell causes your being to disintegrate a bit, bit by bit, even though you don't see it. That's what lying does. That's what being untruthful, that's what is illusion or selling yourself a bill of goods, what to speak of selling others. So uh, honesty, truthfulness, integrity, number one. Have to have it. Um, then you, you also have to understand your purpose. If you're not acting in harmony with your purpose, what are you doing? For example, money is not the purpose of life, ever, in any case. You may want to make a lot of money. You may want to be wealthy, and you may have even a gift for, for doing it. That is fine. You have to understand your purpose because you have to understand what it is, number one, what your nature is, who you are, and what you have to give to others. You are here on this planet, what, just to live in a vacuum? No. You're interacting with the world around you. Therefore, you must give something. Something of value. It could be anything. I mean, you could you run a dry cleaning shop. You could be a shoemaker. I mean, you could be anything. But you have to offer something, and that has to be part of who you are. And you have to give something of value, and, and then there will be an exchange. People who want to be rich for the sake of being rich, they're focused on the result and not the act itself. The action, the work that the thing you do, that's where your energy must be invested. You must do the best job you do, no matter what your job is, even if it's sweeping the floor at Neiman Marcus. It doesn't matter. You must do the best job. You focus on the work, always on the work. The result of the labor will follow, meaning what? Money, uh, a paycheck, or you know, very successful uh, cash flow. But you don't focus on the money. You focus on the quality of work. So what you're seeing right now in, in, in our economy, which is about to crash, you're seeing all of this, these uh, small number of people who, are, who have made exorbitant amounts of money by offering nothing in exchange. Well, I Just live in New York. I live in New York City. I meet those people every day. Of course. That's it. So all they do is they they offer no value, nothing of any lasting value. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't create this, that, or the other. It doesn't do anything for the world. They're just uh, speculating on speculating uh, on, uh, you know, I don't know all the terms, but you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, 
mm-hmm. financial instruments, etc. And and now you've got an artificially inflated uh, economy or debt bubble. In a, in the U.S., you are 19 trillion in debt. You are in debt to 250 thousand dollars per person. How is this tenable? This is all my own people who are gamblers and speculators. And why are the middle classes? They don't have enough work. They don't. They can't sustain their lives mm. because the leadership. No one. Everyone has neglected them. I mean, this is a very, very uh, forlorn situation. And the next crash comes now. Because are you seeing that from the astrological point of view, a crash yeah. in the U.S. economy? A crash in the worldwide economy mm-hmm. starts now. I predicted the last one in '09, and I put up this article on my website and predicted this one now between January 9th, 2016, that's a few days ago, until March 27th, 2017, 15-month window. Now, does it mean it's going to be that time frame? It means within that time frame, you're already seeing it. It's happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just go, go look. I mean, China shut down its stock exchange last Friday. Closed it. Oil's at $30 a barrel. All the commodities markets have already crashed. These are, these are facts. Let me ask so it's you. Already happening. So if we're talking about current events, can I ask you about the presidential election in the U.S.? Yeah. You can ask me, but uh, well, I can't think of anything yet because we don't. I don't know what the two candidates are. We'll have to see what the two candidates. I I looked at Trump's chart, and I looked at Hillary's chart. Well, Trump's got Leo rising, right? uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. He's got a he's got a really powerful chart, but so does Hillary. Um, So I'm going to have to look. Sorry. I think she's Scorpio rising, if I remember. No, she's Libra rising. Oh, she's Libra. Okay, I'm thinking of her Western chart. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have in front of me. Um, I really don't really get serious about predicting that until we have the two candidates, because I'm not going to sit there and do predictions for ten or twelve candidates. It's mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll, we'll we'll wait and see who the candidates are. I, I've predicted every election accurately in the last, I don't know how many years. Th- those are fairly easy to predict. It's only two people involved. Hmm. Interesting. So, we'll have to, you know, I'll tell you one thing. What's that? Uh, in the U.S. yearly chart for 2016, yeah, each country you can calculate the yearly chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like uh, the president uh, could be assassinated or there would be an attempt. Well, During I would this just year? Imagine, yeah, starting uh, April of this year until uh, March of 2017. Well, I don't think it's going to be Obama. <laughs> but it might be, you know, Mr. Trump, he's a pretty polarizing candidate. So 
you know, it might be him or it might be the Democratic nominee if they get in as president. I don't know, but it, it looks very dangerous for the sitting U.S. president. Uh, now, it's only a, a potential. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen. I saw that also when George W. was president. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in very strange times here. Very strange times. We are in strange times. We have about seven minutes left, um, Drew, and I, I was hoping you'd tell readers more about where they can find out, find you and how they can contact you um, and then talk about where you see your work in five years, ten years, and twenty years. But first, you know, tell my listeners where to find you. Uh, my website is drewlawrence.com. Uh, my email is drewjlawrence at gmail.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I have a couple of Facebook pages there, several thousand followers. Uh, so you could look me up on Facebook. Um, where do I see things going for me? Well, I have another book on uh, enlightened relationships called Sun, Man, Moon, Woman that if I would just nudge myself, I would complete it because it's almost all written. And I slowed down a little bit on that one. So so I think that would be a contribution to relationships. It it includes all of my experience uh, in terms of Vedic astrology and counseling thousands of people in relationships over the past 39 years and also universal principles, cosmic principles, I've kind of put it all together. And um, those that have read the drafts so far uh, are quite excited about it. I don't know if it's really mainstream. I mean, certainly parts of it are not mainstream and parts of it are. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have to write from the heart. I can't, you know, write, uh, you know, the best strategy for dating. I mean, that, that wouldn't be me now, would it? <laughs> so I have that and uh you know, apart from that I'm just living a nice quiet life. I'm traveling a little less than I'm used to because I'm getting a bit older and uh you know, it it takes a toll on me all that travel. And I'm here with my uh wife, uh who's Irish, so I moved to Ireland and living in a very idyllic situation in the rolling hills of Ireland, as you see on the postcards. And, uh, you know, simple life, simple living, high thinking, as my guru used to say. That's cool. Now, if if I finish, well, I will finish the book. If the book takes off, then I guess I'll be traveling more. But, you can also do a lot of you can do a lot of promotion online these days too for books. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I do have a couple of books on ebooks. And what are um, 
what's a fun fact people might not know about you, and what do you do in your spare time? What's a fun fact that they may not know about me? Well, recently we got a barn owl as a pet. <laughs> cool. My wife is the uh, animal person here. Me, uh, I like animals, but I'm not all that attached to them. And uh, she was having several dreams of owls. And we actually found out that uh, Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune in the Vedic mm-hmm. pantheon, that's her vehicle. She rides the owl. And uh, so this kept showing up. And then I had a couple of dreams with owls. So we have an aviary not, not far away. And he had a barn owl born in captivity. And uh, we got her. And she's been a real hoot. Yeah. Uh. Meaning, she actually doesn't hoot. She just makes quiet sounds, but... Uh, yeah, that, that's been a fun fact, and you wouldn't think about me having an owl. That's true. Mm-hmm. I know you have horses. You guys have horses, right? We have a couple of horses, a couple of dogs, a bunch of chickens, some ducks, you know, <laughs> and an owl. That's idyllic. It sounds idyllic, Drew. Yeah. When the owl gets old enough, we release her into the wild, so we're not keeping her in a cage or anything like that. Well, Drew, any last? I was asking if you had any last bits of wisdom because we've got about two minutes, and so I just wanted to see if you had any last words for the listeners. Uh, I'd say don't throw away the golden opportunity of your human life. It takes a long time for a soul to evolve to the species to come up to the human form of life. It is so valuable. It's not just about enjoying yourself and and, uh, pleasing your senses. Some of that's fine, but there has to be a higher goal and a higher purpose. And no matter what you do in life, you you have to figure that out. Uh, Raising your consciousness, understanding what life is really for, in terms of getting off the wheel of samsara, repeated birth mm-hmm. and death, and returning to the spiritual world because we have a spiritual nature. And death, old age, and disease we don't want. Not well, Drew, Drew, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. You were an amazing guest. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Take care. So that was Drew Lawrence saying, don't waste the golden opportunity of your human life. And um, he was wonderful, so I encourage all my listeners to go to drewlawrence.com to find out more about Drew. And to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for joining us. Please come back next week at our regular time to hear author Robin Farman Farmayan talk about the patient as CEO and negotiating the new medical technologies. Thanks again for listening. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.